we are uh, in part two today of a series called Fast Forward. We are trying to accelerate into God's best in 2019. We don't want to coast into God's best. We don't want to stumble into God's best, although, man, I know I've stumbled many times in my life, but man, we want to hit the gas as we kick off this brand new year. And so if you weren't with us last week, I really encourage you to go to iTunes, go to the City Church website, go to our app, check out the the podcast. I think it will encourage you. I think it will bless you. Uh, Last week, we talked about how fasting uh, is so powerful and why we believe so strongly in it, why we're doing this Daniel fast. If you're not really familiar with the fast, um, I I think... uh, that's, last week's message will help you understand why we do this and why it's so important. But uh, the other thing we did last week is we turned to a story at the end of our message, uh, a classic Sunday school story. It's a story that probably all of us, whether we grew up in church or not, we're somewhat familiar with, this story about Daniel in the lion's den. And so uh, what I thought, I don't know if we're going to do this through the whole series, but as, as we were reading through our Daniel Fast uh, reading plan this week, we've been reading through the book of Luke. Uh, and, and in Luke chapter 5, I came across a story that's, that's kind of similar. It's a classic Sunday school story. This is one that you probably had to grow up in church a little bit to be familiar with. But if you grew up in church, you know this story and you know it well. Um, it's oftentimes known as, as the story of Jesus healing um, uh, a paralyzed man, uh, a paralytic man. And I have a confession to make. I've been very, very nervous to teach this message uh, because marriage has revealed to me that I have mispronounced one of these words my entire life and didn't know it. Uh, so uh, so the, the, this man, he's a paralytic, um, but I always use, pronounce that word paralytic, and nobody ever told me I was wrong until God blessed me with a wife. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know how many times I've taught this or how many times I've said this publicly and nobody loved me enough to say, yeah, you're an idiot. Um, but uh, so thank you for that. Uh, but uh, my wife has lovingly pointed that out in nicer words um, and, and helped me realize that my pronunciation is way off. So it is uh, paralytic, not paralytic. And I make no promises that I'm going to get it right. Because when you say something a whole one way for 30 something years, just because you learn it correctly doesn't mean you will say it correctly. So we're going to try to just say paralyzed man, because I know I can say that right. Um, but we'll see what happens. All right. So I'm just going to be real transparent. just going to put it out there on the front end. Buckle up. This could go a lot of different ways. Uh, the important thing is there's a lot of power in this story. Uh, this is a very well-known story where, where an individual who's been paralyzed, we don't know for how long, presumably for a very long period of time, is brought to Jesus by his friends. Uh, and, and his friends do something pretty, pretty crazy, pretty irrational, pretty dramatic in order to get him to Jesus. So as we uh, get ready to dive into our story, if you've got your Bible, open to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read um, about 10 verses this morning, and then we're going to go back through it and see seven ways to accelerate in your walk with Jesus. Um, verse 17 says this. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come together from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Uh, Bible scholars tell us, and actually we know because of Mark gives us another account of this. Matthew also gives us an account. But in Mark's account, Mark tells us that Jesus was in a town called Capernaum. 
If you're familiar at all with the geography of Israel, um, Israel was split at this point in time into three regions. It was split into Galilee in the north, which was where Jesus was from, and it was the part of the country that was looked down upon. It was like being from Arkansas, right? Like, they made fun of you. Uh, sorry to anybody who's from Arkansas in the house, but man, you, you know you're low when Mississippi makes fun of you. Uh, like, that's when you're at the bottom, right? Uh, so... I'm not from Mississippi either, so I can say that. Um, but so, so Galilee was in the top. I said, we got some Arkansas, Arkansanians. I don't know how to say that word either. Um, Arkansans, right, there you go, in the house. Uh, we love you. Jesus loves you. He was from Galilee, so he meets you right where you're at. Um, so, so Jesus was from Galilee in the north, which was mocked and made fun of. And Jerusalem, the, the capital, the most famous city, was in the south in what's called Judea. And in between was this area called Samaria, which was kind of, kind of full of, uh, of people who were half Jewish and half Arab. Um, and so these were the three regions in the area. So Jesus is in Galilee, um, and he's now at the city called Capernaum. Capernaum is at the very northernmost spot um, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you're probably familiar with that term, even if you don't know exactly where it is. So he's in this little city called Capernaum, and he's teaching, and, and people have gathered from all over, not just from the local area, but it says they've come to him from Judea and Jerusalem. So they've traveled a long way to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and Jesus is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God to heal the sick. Verse 18 says, some men came carrying a paralyzed, thank God, NIV, paralyzed man, on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Bad news for some of us right here. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knows what you're thinking today. You know, Jesus knows the motives of our heart. Jesus knows the, every, every idle thought. In fact, one day we're going to give an account for those things. The, the thoughts that come into our heart aren't necessarily sinful. Like Jesus was tempted but if we hold on to those things, if we dwell on those things, it can very quickly become sin. That's why the Bible teaches that lusting in our heart after a woman is just as committing adultery with her because the things that happen up here matter. In fact, the biggest battleground spiritually usually is right here. Uh, like that's where we win or that's where we lose. Um, it's not so much in action. Action is just a result of, of the thoughts. Um, and so Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he spoke to their thoughts. He said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word still speaks. God, we thank you that it is the standard for us to live on. God, that your word is the authority for us to build our lives upon. We thank you that your word reveals things to our hearts, God, even when it's a story we may be extremely familiar with. 
So God, I pray today that we'd push past the familiarity. God, and that we would allow your spirit to speak to us. God, that you would speak loudly and clearly to us on this idea of accelerating our walk with you, God, of picking up the pace, of moving forward towards your very best faster than we have before. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's given to us to teach us truths about you, your nature, your character, the way that you work in our lives. So help us to apply it to our lives today, God. Help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Talking about accelerating in our walk with God. This story is certainly an example of someone who had an encounter with Jesus that in that momentary encounter, God did something in his life that could not have happened over decades. We don't know how long he was paralyzed. We presume he was paralyzed for 20, 30, 40 years. We don't know exactly, but we assume it was a long, long period of time, a period of time so long that he had probably given up hope of ever being anything other than the paralyzed man, right? That 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 was not something he was even seeking or believing for, and yet somehow he has some friends who love him, who care about him, who get wind and word about this guy named Jesus who's been healing people, who God's been using to do some incredible things, and they say, no, we're not giving up. We're believing God for something better. And so they bring him to Jesus, and in this momentary encounter with the son of the living God, everything changes. What are we talking about in Fast Forward? What are we desiring? We're talking about experiencing God in such a way that we can move forward in our lives, forward towards his best, forward towards his call on us, faster through his power than we'd ever move through our own right? He meets Jesus, and Jesus accelerates some processes in him. In fact, he breathes life into some processes in him that would not have ever experienced it apart from Jesus. So I want to show you in this story what I believe are seven keys to accelerating in your walk with God, your walk with Jesus. Now, I don't know that these are the seven keys. I'm not going to like say like these, this is an exclusive list. This is an exhaustive list. Don't do anything that's not on this list. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that I believe we can look at this man's example. We can look at this story, and we can see some things that, that helped breathe some life into his situation. And I don't know what you need some life breathed into. I don't know what you need some strength to generate in that, that hasn't had any strength for a long time. And maybe have never had any strength before. For all we know, this man never walked. He may have been born with, as a cripple. He may have been born without that ability. But in this moment, he receives an ability to walk that he probably never thought he'd have in his life. So how do we accelerate forward? None of us today probably need the ability to walk. None of us today probably were carried here by some friends. Maybe you were dragged here by a spouse or a parent, but you weren't carried here by somebody in most of our cases. But I think all of us have some things that we could use God to show up in. All of us have some some aspects of life that maybe aren't showing life. Like he had legs, they just weren't moving. I wonder how many of us, we've got some things in our life that are there, there's just not any movement in them. 
There's just not any life in them. There's not just, there, there's not any progress in this thing. And maybe in our marriage, maybe in our parenting, maybe just in our one-on-one time with God, may, maybe in our finances, maybe in our career, but, but we can look at something and say, man, it's stagnant. It's still. Man, it's at the same place that it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. These are the things that I want to be able to speak to today. These are the things that I believe that, that God wants to share with us how to accelerate in our walk. So, so the first one is very simple. It comes from Luke 5, 18. Luke 5, 18 says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. The first thing we need to do to accelerate in our walk with Jesus is we've we got to find a team. You need a team. I love this story. Uh, It's one of the best stories in scripture to illustrate the importance of not doing life alone. We don't know what the relationship was between this guy and these friends. We don't know if they were all childhood friends and maybe he had gotten in an accident and as a child, and maybe they felt some, some connection to him because they had seen him lose his ability to walk. We don't know what this was. Maybe they were just cousins or, 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 or relatives, or maybe they were just really good guys. But for whatever reason, they were committed to this person at a time in history when most people who were, were crippled, who were lame, didn't have a lot of support, didn't have a lot of people who were going to do life with them. Didn't have a lot of people who were going to show compassion to them. They were pretty much discarded. They were pretty much left on the side of the road to beg and hope they would come up with something, which isn't always that much different than our generation. We're not really good with this type of stuff either, being there for people who are in these situations. But for whatever reason, this guy had a team. Man, he had some friends who loved him. He had some friends who cared about him. He had some friends who believed in him. Church, I can't encourage you enough. You got to have a team. You can't do this thing by yourself. You're never going to get everything from Jesus that you need just by going to Jesus by yourself. There's something about having some people to go to Jesus with. There's something about having some people that, that even when I'm not strong enough to get there, that they're going to help make sure that I do, that they're going to carry me there. we got to have a team. Right now, we don't have city groups in session. We'll launch them again at the beginning of February. I just want to drop this, this nugget. This isn't a city church message, but I believe I'm supposed to say this. Man, maybe God is going to lead you to lead a group this semester or to host a group this semester. But if not, I believe he wants you in a group this semester. You can put that on your connection card if you're interested. Hey, how can I lead a group? Or, hey, I'd be interested in hosting one. We'd love to help you get plugged in and connected in that way. But, but there's power in God's people coming together. There's power in us building relationships. There's, there's power in us doing life together. Had a couple over last night for Daniel Fast Chili. Uh, and it's like, you know, I, I found out they were doing the Daniel Fast and some people I've been wanting to connect with for a while. So I was like, why don't you guys come over? We'll hate life together. It'll be great, right? Like, there's just something about having people to do life with. There's just something about having other people who are, who are chasing Jesus with you, man. There's something about that chili that it tastes better when there's somebody else who's miserable with you and can't have me either, right? Like, there's just, there's something about it. We got to find a team. We know this, right? Uh, in Mark chapter 2, it says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. 
What's interesting in Mark's account is Mark actually says, hey, four of them were carrying him. So they were carrying him on the corners of the mat, presumably. But it says that it was carried by four of them. In other words, the crew was bigger than four. Now, when I learned this story as a kid, we always thought he had four friends, which, you know, I mean, four friends, like, that's more than a lot of us have, right? Like, four four friends, you're doing pretty good. You got four friends that are going to carry you to somebody, not to mention rip open a roof, spoiler alert. Uh, But, but, man, he, he had not just four friends who went with him to see Jesus. He had a bigger group. We don't know how many it was. We, We don't know how many were there, but it says some of them came with, or the, the, some men came with him and, and four of them carried him. So it was bigger than four, which I think is pretty cool. He had a crew. He had a team that was with him. There were more than four. Proverbs 27, 17 says very famously, says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We are better together. And here's the thing about iron. Iron doesn't sharpen iron from long distances. Iron sharpens iron when it gets really close to each other. Right? Like, we got to get into each other's lives. We, we got to be there for one another. Who's fighting for you? Who's fighting for you today? If, if your answer is, I'm not sure, or if your answer is nobody, man, God's got something better for you. God's got some people for you that, that he wants to put in your life, that he wants to, to use to be a blessing to you. Man, we, we've, we've got to find those relationships. We've got to hunt for them. We've got to search for them. Um, it, it's easy to read this story and be like, man, I wish I had friends like that, right? Like, man, these guys, these guys were awesome. But here's one thing that I think is really significant. They brought him to Jesus because every single one of them knew exactly what he needed. Every single one of them knew what his weakness was. Every single one of them knew what his struggle was. Now, it was obvious. Everybody knew. But that was an advantage for him. You see, the mistake that I think a lot of us make is we hide our weakness. We hide our struggle. We hide our junk. We hide the thing that that we're lacking. We try to stay away from our insecurity. That's why I didn't want to preach about the paralytic, right? Like, because I didn't want to use the wrong word. Right? Like we try to keep that stuff hidden because we want to look like we have it all together. Why did this guy get his healing? Because he had a whole group of friends who knew that he needed healing. And I wonder how many of us right now are missing out on our healing because we're not letting anybody in. Because we're trying to deal with this thing by ourselves. Because we're trying to, to, to just suck it up and white knuckle our way through it. And, and rub some dirt on it and hope that it goes away. And we don't let anybody know, man, I need some prayer. I need some support. I need somebody who's got my back. I need somebody to hold me accountable in this. I need somebody to help. Every one of his friends knew what he needed. Why did he show up to Jesus? Because his friends knew his weakness. It's easy to look at this story and be like, man, I wish I had friends like that. But his advantage was all of his friends were acutely aware of his weakness. And for so many of us, our weakness isn't visible. It's not open to the whole world. And because of that, we try to hold it back. We try to keep it to ourselves. We don't let anybody in. And in the middle of it, we don't have the support we need to get to the healing that's right over there. He got healed because he had a team. Now, he didn't just heal because he had a team. The second thing, Luke 5, 19 says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on the mat through the tiles and in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Second thing is find a team that's determined to get to Jesus. 
It's not enough to just have a team. Right, some of us have a team, man. We got our, our boys from high school. We we got the people that we grew up with. We got this crew that we work with, and maybe they're good people, and and, and maybe they don't tell a ton of dirty jokes, and may, maybe we can kind of justify being around them. But they're not just passionate about getting to Jesus. See, his wasn't enough to just have friends. I guarantee you, there were there were some other paralyzed dudes in Capernaum. So some other paralyzed guys in Galilee who didn't make it to Jesus and they didn't get healed. And it wasn't because they didn't have friends. It's because their friends weren't as persistent as this guy's friends were. His friends were passionate about this. They show up and they see there's this massive crowd of people. And the easy thing to do would be like, well, maybe Jesus will have a second service today. Uh, you know, maybe we'll come back in a couple hours after everybody breaks for lunch. Like, it would have been really easy to say, oh, well, we tried, man. We did our best. We carried you all the way over here. Man, we're, we're good friends. They could have high-fived themselves and credited themselves. Look at, look at the links we went to, to. But they didn't stop. They weren't going to be denied making it to Jesus. You need to find some friends that aren't going to stop until they make it to Jesus. That have some determination. I don't care what's in the way. I don't care what I got to rip open. I don't care what inconvenience I've got to go through. I don't care who's going to think that I'm a little bit crazy. I'm going to get to Jesus. Those are the friends that you got to surround yourself with. This guy had them. We don't know how he found them. We don't know where they came from. But we know that he found a team that was determined to get to Jesus. Archaeologists have dug up homes in in Capernaum and the surrounding areas and and tried to look at what was really going on with this type of house. What, what, What was this like? And so what they discovered is that homes in that area in that time, they, they pretty much only had one or sometimes two rooms. Uh, so, so they were pretty much open floor plan, uh, and they, they didn't have separate bedrooms and separate areas and these kinds of things. It, it, was, it was pretty much open, and that if you were to pack it in, you would probably get right around 50 people in a home in Capernaum. So, so roughly, we, we can estimate there was maybe 50 people in this home listening to Jesus, probably spilled out onto the streets. Maybe they had a window or, or a couple windows that were open uh, so, so people could hear out in the overflow, like they're hanging out in the lobby. I remember those days, the old building, before we went to two services, we had people listening to service in the lobby for a few Sundays. Man, was, that was awesome. It was encouraging as you see, man, the, the family of God growing and people coming in and people being reached. And, and so I'm sure there was some energy in the room. There was some excitement in the room. There was no air conditioning in the room, and it's Israel. So it was probably hot. It probably stunk, right, uh, if, if we're being real. But so, so they came up to this house, and they saw, okay, we can't get into the room. Jesus is in there, and we can't get there. And we don't know whose idea it was. We don't know if they had this game plan from the beginning or, or it was the one crazy friend who threw this out there or what. But, but somehow they said, you know what, let's, let's go up on the roof. See, in those days, they would have had um, an external staircase up to the roof. And the way that the roofs were made uh, w- was interesting. They were made with branches that, that, that were strewn across uh, the walls from one end to the other, and then they were filled in with clay, which would harden in the sun, and, and that would allow, the, allow it to keep out the rain and that type of stuff. So what happened is they got up on this roof. It was strong enough you could walk across it. As they walked across this roof, they bent down, and they start scratching and clawing through the clay to, to, to remove the clay to open up a room where they could drop their friend through. So imagine being in there listening to Jesus. Right? You're, you're inside, you're listening to Jesus, you're like, oh man, this guy's great. Oh man, everybody's amening like Teresa, man, it's just energy in the room. People are fired up. It's a spiritual powerhouse, right? 
And then all of a sudden, you start getting some dirt dropping on your hair, right? Like, what in the world? Like, we, we couldn't spring for a, a better place. Uh, and you look up, and now there's some sunlight starting to come through. And you look up, and you, and you see some guys up there. And you don't know, like, oh, this is like a terrorist attack. Like, what's going on, you know? Uh, and, and, and before you know it, this guy starts to be lowered through the roof. And, and what in, in the old Sunday school, like, drawings and pictures that we would do, the picture was always, like, like they had four ropes, like, one on each end of, and they would just lower him gently like he was on, like, this pulley system. Like, they had this plan from the beginning. That's probably not how it worked. What, what probably happened is they opened up a hole, two of them gently lowered themselves down using the branches, got down on the floor, and then they had to somehow finagle him through whatever hole. We, we picture it with like this six foot th- by three hole for the mat to drop down through gracefully. That's probably not how it worked again. The branches weren't moving out of the way like that. So they had to wor- wiggle him through the branches uh, to, to get the one end of the mat down where the friends on the floor could grab him and lower him down. It was a production. It was a big deal. It probably took some time. It was a massive interruption. Uh, but man, what an interesting day at church, right? <laughs> like, it's the kind of day you're going to talk about for a while as you see this happening. But we need friends, not just friends who go to church not just friends who call themselves Christians, not just a team that, that, that kind of is involved. Man, we need a team that says, I don't care what's stopping. I don't care what's in the way. I don't care what, what, how people look at me. I'm coming after what Jesus has with all that I am. I'm not going to be slowed down. I'm not going to be denied. Are you surrounded by people who are determined to get to Jesus at all costs? If you're not, man, start looking for some people like that. Start praying for some people like that. Start becoming a person like that because like attracts like. And if you're going to be that person, you're going to find those people. The the next thing that we need to do if we want to accelerate in our walk with God in 2019 is we got to stretch our faith. Number three, stretch your faith. Stretch your faith. Um, You ever tried to do anything with a group of guys? There's always somebody Uh, who thinks something is a bad idea, right? Like men are cynical, we're sarcastic. So I'm sure somebody popped up in the midst of this, like, you think we're gonna go up on the roof? What what are you thinking, man? Like, yeah, I woke up this morning, I thought today's a good day to go to jail, right? Like, somebody's making some real smart remarks in the middle of this. And there were some determined friends, despite the sarcasm, despite the cynicism, which yes, the Bible doesn't say it, but I know men enough to know it was probably there. That they pushed through that criticism. They pushed through that sarcasm and said, you know what? We're ta- I don't care what chance I got to take. I don't care if I got to spend a night in jail. I don't care what I got to do. We're getting him to Jesus. You see, they stretched their faith. Somebody's saying, man, do we even know if this Jesus guy can heal him? Man, he's been paralyzed for so long. Do you really think? Yeah, just because Jesus healed that guy, that cold, or took care of that thing. Man, this, this is real life stuff. Maybe Jesus can't do this. They said, no, we trust him. We're going to get to him. They stretched their faith. What a stretch to say we're going to carry this guy to Jesus for him to be able to walk. Man, what kind of faith does it take to say, man, I'm taking you to the healer, and you're going to get out of that mat today? That's some faith. What do you believe in God for right now? 
What, what, what are we stretching our faith for, man? If, if our prayer is just, man, help me get a, a, a little raise, help me get a, a little more success in my job, help me to raise good little boys and girls, man, I think a lot of times, man, we, we got to raise our, our beliefs. We got to raise our expectations. I think a lot of times God wants to do something a lot bigger in our lives than we're asking him to do. And we're praying below his power, not to his power. Man, let's stretch our faith this year. Let's pray bigger prayers. Let's pray with some audacity. Let's believe God with some audacity. This is audacious. We're going to rip the roof open and see what Jesus can do. That's, that's, that's some kind of faith that God will respond to. You see, the thing is, Jesus, if you read in Luke chapter 4, he, he was in his hometown called Nazareth right before he came to Capernaum. And it says that as Jesus was in Nazareth, there, there, there's three different accounts. One says that he couldn't do very many miracles. I, I think it's the book of Mark, actually, that says he did a few, no. Let me see. I actually got it in my notes here. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. It says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. See, Jesus is in his hometown, and a prophet is without honor in his hometown, he says. In other words, they, they, they were like, oh, we, we saw you grow up. Man, we, you weren't even like the star on the soccer team. Like, you weren't anything special. Right, they, they knew who he was, and so because they knew who he was, they didn't actually believe he was the Messiah. And so Jesus is on this tour across the countryside. Every city he goes to, amazing miracles. He's walking on water. He's feeding 5,000. He's healing lepers. He's raising people from the dead. He goes to Nazareth. He heals a couple sick people. Now, here's what's so amazing to me about Jesus. Jesus had so much power that it says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. That was a disappointment. That's my Jesus. That when Jesus shows up on a bad day, he just heals a few sick people. That's how awesome he is, right? That, that's, you look at that and you're like, oh, that's all he could do. Man, that's like, whoa, that's awesome. He healed a few sick people like anybody else. We're like celebrating and high-fiving. Jesus heals a few sick people in Nazareth. We're like, man, what's wrong with Nazareth? Right? But, but he wasn't doing the kind of stuff in Nazareth that he was doing everywhere else. Why? There's the same needs. There, there were plenty of sick people in Nazareth. There were plenty of hurting people in Nazareth. There were plenty of dead people in Nazareth. Why is he raising dead in other places but not there? Because they didn't have the faith that they had in Capernaum. You see, if you want God to move mightily on your behalf in 2019, stretch faith. Believe him for something bigger. Ask him for something bigger. Put something out there and say, God, I trust you. I believe you can move in this area. I believe you can breathe life into this. His friends stretched their faith, and they saw what God can do. What's crazy is Nazareth and Capernaum are 20 miles away. 20 miles. It's like Horn Lake to Olive Branch, right? They're, they're neighboring towns. And in one town, he does this significant miracle that, that we all know about, that we've all heard stories about 2,000 years later. And in the other town, he takes away a couple people's flu. Like, a couple people are sick, and they got healed, and that's awesome. But he wanted to do more. He had power to do more. But Jesus always meets us at the point of our faith. Where's your faith? What are you believing him for? Moving on in 19, it says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, they lowered him on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Number four, you want to accelerate your walk with God this year. Remove the barriers between you and Jesus. Remove the barriers. It says that they, they, they took the tiles and they broke through the tiles. And tiles is a very imprecise word, translation for, for us to use here. The, uh, the word that's actually used literally means anything that's made from clay uh, in the Greek. 
And so it was the clay that was, again, stretched across the branches. It wasn't tiles like we would imagine ceiling tiles today, like you have on your ceiling or on your roof. Um, it, it was clay that was broken through. Um, and the, the branches had been packed tight with the mud. They had been dried in the sun. And as they broke through this stuff, they removed the barrier between them and Jesus. What's the barrier? What's between you and Jesus today? Maybe your barrier is a faith barrier. I can't get to Jesus because I just don't really believe that you're there. Man, remove that barrier. Maybe your barrier is a, a bitterness barrier. You've got this thing that you've been holding on to for a long time. I spoke with the family this week, and they talked about a loved one who had, had recently passed away, and they said that this loved one, um, they thought it was actually the right time because this person had loved God pretty much their whole life, and as they had gotten sick at the end, they st- started to get bitter, started to, to, to kind of turn against God. And I said, man, we hated to see it happen, but we were, we were almost relieved that they were able to go be with Jesus and that they were healed from that bitterness. Man, I, I hope you don't have to die to be healed of your bitterness. Man, I hope that, that we allow God to, to breathe into those hurt areas, into those things inside of us that don't understand. God, why did I go through this? Why did I experience this? Life's not fair, and it's not easy. And a lot of us have gone through some awful stuff. Um, we got to remove those barriers between us and Jesus. Jesus is the one with the healing. He's the one with the compassion. He's the one with what we need to get past it. And so we can't let that stuff rise up and, and, and build up inside of us. Luke 5, 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Number five, you want to accelerate into God's best this year. You need to realize that your greatest needs aren't on the surface. Your greatest need isn't on the surface. You see, all the friends and this guy thought his need was he needed to be able to walk. Jesus looks at him for a second. I mean, this isn't some long, this isn't like he's hung out with him for years. Jesus knows him for a moment. And because of his incredible power of God, because of his uh, amazing omniscience, and he knows all, he looks at this guy and he recognizes his problem isn't that he can't walk. His problem is that he's got sin that hasn't been forgiven. He hasn't repented. And he looks into him and he recognizes a repentant heart. He recognizes this guy's humble and he's sorry. And he says, your sins are forgiven. What an amazing statement. What an amazing situation. Um, what are you asking God for in the new year? Man, maybe you're asking him for a new job. Maybe you're asking him for, for a fresh start on your marriage or, or a relationship. Maybe you're asking him for who knows what, man. We're buying a house this year. We're taking this step or that step. All that stuff's good. Man, go for it. I believe we should ask God for those things. But remember this. Your greatest need isn't your surface need. We, we, a lot of times we use words like felt needs and unfelt needs or felt needs and real needs. Jesus looked at this guy who had a massive felt need. I've never had a need as big as being able to walk, right? Like I've never been paralyzed. I've never had anything that I needed from God on, on the felt level to that. But he looks at this felt need and he says, that's not even what you really need. What you really need's in here. What you really need is something that nobody else can see. Nobody else is aware of, but I see it. Why? Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So Jesus looked at him, and he recognized. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus didn't say, no, you don't need to, get to be able to walk. You need to have your sins forgiven, so I forgive your sins. Right? He met the felt need, too. He still gave him the ability to walk. He's, he still healed him. But he knew, man, I can heal you, and you can walk out of here for, for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or however much more life you have but I can forgive you. 
and you can walk out of here for eternity forgiven. Jesus met the eternal need. He met the need that nobody else could see, that nobody else was aware of. I think a lot of times, man, sometimes we're, we're, we're praying. Such, anytime I hear about like somebody who's sick or somebody, man, my friend's got cancer or so-and-so's going through this surgery. Man, can you pray for me, Pastor? Of course we'll pray. Of course we're going to pray for that physical need, and we always pray to that physical need, and we believe that God heals physical needs, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I always pray beyond the physical need. Like, God, I don't know where they are in their walk with you, but, but use this to draw them to you, God. Use this to show them their need for you, that they can trust in you, that they can rely on you. Why? Because those physical needs are important, but they're not the most important. As Jesus encountered this man with this massive, massive need, he realized there's something deeper. There's something more significant that I can heal for you, even than giving you the ability to walk. Verse 24 says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and he went home praising God. Number six, you want to accelerate into God's best in the new year. Walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Jesus gives this guy three instructions. Three things, three commands. You need to do these three things. He says, get up, take your mat, go home. Get up, take your mat, go home. Others did a whole lot for this guy, for our paralytic, right? Is that how we say it? Uh, Others did a whole lot for him, right? His his friends brought him to Jesus. His friends separated the roof and made a way for him to get to Jesus. He could not have done those things for himself. Jesus did for him what only Jesus could do. And by the way, that's what God always does. God always does for us what only God can do. God never does for us what we can do. So Jesus could have spoken and immediately the dude just stood up, right? Like Jesus could have taken control of his body and put him up on his feet and, and he could have been robot walking around, right? Like I can't do the robot or maybe it'd be a good time for that. Uh, he, he could have done that. But Jesus never does for us what we can do for ourselves. He does what only he can do. He breathed life into those legs. He restored strength to that back. We don't know what was wrong with him, if it was his spine or, or what. Jesus did what only Jesus could do. But then he said, hey, now you got a part to play. See, if we want God's best in 2019, we're going to have a part to play. God's going to do some things that only he can do. We're going to believe him for big things and stretch our faith for big things and believe God to show himself mighty because he's a mighty God, and he likes to to demonstrate that in our lives. But he's going to give us a part to play. And what did this guy do? He did exactly what Jesus said. He got up. Man, what what a faith kind of faith does that take you haven't stood up in 20 years and now not only you're doing it in front of all these people right you got a whole bunch of people watching you you got your boys watching you got all these strangers watching you or maybe they're not strangers maybe they're neighbors maybe they're people that have seen you your whole life and have maybe they've picked on you maybe they bullied you we don't know what all this guy may have been going through in this moment Jesus says get up he gets up he says take up your mat he takes up his mat now the mat is kind of interesting in those days, the, they didn't have, like, beds like we have. Uh, when, when the only, like, luxurious purchase my wife and I made in, like, the first three years of our marriage, we bought a king-size bed. Best premarital counseling I can give anybody. Uh, man, there's power in a king-size bed. Praise the Lord. Uh, 
So, so we went out, we splurged with our first tax return. We got a king-size bed. Man, I am grateful for cushion mattresses. I am grateful for the generation that we live in. We got it good. Uh, this was not that generation. Uh, and so the mat, this wasn't, we, I, I think a lot of times we picture it like, hey, well, he, was, he had a mat because he was paralyzed. Everybody had a mat. The mat was their bed. Uh, and what would happen, because you, they didn't have big homes, and they were just one room, you, you would roll up your mat and you'd put it off in the corner, go through the day, have room, be able to do whatever in the house. Then at night, you'd go grab your mat from the corner, unroll it, lay down, go to sleep. Wasn't real big, wasn't real thick. So, so he says, man, take it with you. Take it with you. Why is he supposed to take it with him? Well, practically, he had to take it with him because it was his bed. He still needed a bed. Uh, but, but I think even more than that, don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget where I met you. Don't forget who you were before Jesus came into your life. And then he said, go home. This is probably the hardest part of the instruction. Can you imagine this? You just got healed. Jesus is preaching. God is moving. Everybody's celebrating these people who maybe you didn't even like five minutes ago. Now they're like hugging you. They're high-fiving you. They're happy for you. Everybody wants to like get a selfie with you. Look, he can walk, right? Like, like it's this awesome moment. And Jesus says, go home. Man, I, I, I want to sit here in the moment. I want to soak this in. Jesus, like this is, this is history for me. Jesus says, go home, and he obeys. Why did he need to go home? Because the people who needed his story weren't the people in that room. It was the people back home. People in that room already, they saw it happen. They knew the story. They seen what God had done. People back home got no idea. So he says, get up, take up your mat, and go home. You see, your story isn't for you. Your healing isn't for you. It ain't about you. It's never about you. It's always about the person that God wants to bless. He said, I want you to take your test and make it your testimony. I want you to take your misery and make it your ministry. I want you to take your mat and take it home and tell people what Jesus has done for you. We got to walk in obedience. He did exactly what Jesus told him. You want God's best this year? Do exactly what God's told you to do. Live out the word. Man, in, in Isaiah 1, 19 and 20, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. That's a verse for somebody who's going through the Daniel fast right now, right? If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. 15 days, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 26 says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Number seven thing we got to do if we want to accelerate into God's best in the new year. We got to celebrate what God has done. Celebrate what God has done. You see, everybody celebrated this guy's miracle. They didn't say, okay, now me next, Jesus. They saw what God had done for him. Not even, it's not just the ones who came with him. It's not just his four friends who lowered him or, or carried him or the seven or eight friends who came with him. Everybody celebrated the move of God. You see, sometimes God moves for you and sometimes God moves for somebody else, but it's always worth celebrating. It's always worth glorifying Jesus. It's always worth bringing him praise. Just like Dwindle talked about as we sang, uh, so will I at the end of worship today, man, that even the rocks are going to cry out. Even they're going to praise him. I got to go to the Grand Canyon last year. One of the coolest experiences of my life. I got to go with my dad and my son, three generations of Southern men, praying that my son doesn't fall off, making sure he stays alive, right? Like we, we, we got to have this crazy experience. You know what? Those rocks cry out in silence the glory of God. They declare his incredible power. They declare what he has done. These guys, they saw God move and they celebrated. 
they worship. It's two weeks from today, we're going to cap this fast off with the celebration night. We're going to come together and we're going to eat and we're asking you to bring your best to the potluck because we have some people that are going to be ready to throw down. Uh, be ready to, to partake, ready to feast. And we're going to worship God. And we're going to share stories of what God has done. Why? Because what God has done is we're celebrating. You may not be doing the fast. You may not partake in the fast at all. You may do the fast and feel like God didn't really do anything great in you during the fast. He's doing something in somebody. Come celebrate with us. Come see what he's done. First Daniel fast I ever did in 2012, the greatest impact of that fast really didn't come until about seven to 10 days after the fast for me. That's when the breakthrough came. It wasn't the 21 days here in the fast. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I love this. Uh, it was after the fast that something happened. So you may be at like day six and you're like, man, God ain't shown up yet. Maybe this fasting thing doesn't work. Trust God. Be faithful. Keep walking it out. Stay obedient. Stay faithful. He's going to show up. Maybe it's in the 21 days. Maybe it's after the 21 days. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. But he's going to show himself. But man, there's something about celebrating what God has done. It's what we do every time we, we sing. We get a chance to celebrate. Every time we hear uh, a story, we get a chance to celebrate. Every time we see God move in a life of a loved one, we get a chance to celebrate. Don't miss the celebration. Don't let it become old. Don't let it become familiar. Oh, this is what God does. Man, we got to seize every opportunity to celebrate what God has done. And all these things are going to help us to accelerate into God's best in 2019. I truly believe God wants you to have a great year. Doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect year. Doesn't mean it's going to be a year with no pain or no sorrow or no trouble. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you God wants you to have a year where you accelerate into better things in, in your life with him, in your walk with him than you've ever seen. I know he wants that. He wants it for me. He wants it for all of us. And he's laid out a path. Here's how we can get there. Now it's up for us. Be willing and obedient and we'll eat the good of the land. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, I pray that you would help us to hit the gas in our walk with you. Lord, if, if we're stagnant today, if, we're, if we've been on the brakes, if we've been in neutral, we've been in park, or God, maybe we've just been in a, in a crawl. Lord, I believe that you have an accelerated pace for us. You have a better opportunity for us to, to see new things happen, to see things happen in a shorter period of time than we have before. God, I believe fasting is such a big part of that. We just lift up to you right now, God, everybody who's going through the fast with us, everybody who's given up something to be a part of this, God, everybody who's doing the reading plan, who's reading and, and praying with us, God, I pray that they would stay faithful, they would stay disciplined, they would stay committed. Lord, for those who haven't yet taking that step, if, if you're inviting them, God, if you've got a place for them in this fast this year, I pray they jump on board, God, even, even late. God, it's always better late than never. God, I pray that they would take that opportunity, Lord, but for all of us, I ask that we would be able to apply the lessons of this story. God, that we see this paralyzed man who received this incredible miracle, this life-changing experience with you. God, because he found a team. He had a team who was determined to get to you. God, because they stretched their faith, because they removed any and all barriers that were between them and you, God. Lord, help us to do every one of these things. Help us to walk them out, God. Help us to celebrate what you're doing, God. Help us to walk in obedience. God, help us to recognize our greatest need isn't on the surface. Help us to see what our need is, God. If we've got something we need forgiveness for, help us to seek forgiveness. If we've got something we need deliverance from, help us to seek deliverance, God. Help us to give over those things to you that maybe nobody else can see. 
God, those things that are beneath the surface, help us, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.